This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, KC Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Marquise Brownlee has been called the best technology reviewer on the planet by a former VP at Google, no less, and I'm sure his 10 million YouTube subscribers would agree. Marquise has transformed his love of tech into full-blown stardom. In addition to interviewing tech giants like Bill Gates, Satya Nadella, and Elon Musk, Marquise has also landed his own show on YouTube called Retro Tech. In our conversation, Marquise breaks down what he sees as true innovation and creativity in the tech industry and what technology of yesteryear can teach us about the future. Marquez, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So you have, I know you get this all the time because this is like one of the greatest uh, titles you can possibly have, but you've been called the best technology reviewer on the planet by a former VP at Google of all places. So how does one go from reviewing a remote for an HP pavilion (laughs) at 15 in his room or his living room Mm -hmm. to becoming the best technology reviewer on the planet? Short answer is uh, a thousand videos. It, it took a long time, you know. Um, I mean, it's a humbling comment, but yeah, it's it's definitely just a a slow evolution of a craft. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, yeah, with like the the webcam of the laptop in in the corner of my bedroom, and you know, just talked to it, uploaded that file, didn't really edit it, didn't do anything too crazy. But I was so happy to share what I was talking about and was so passionate about tech as I still am today that it's sort of carried on to the natural evolution. I got a camera for the first time. I got right. editing software for the first time. Uh, and so all that has helped me tell stories and, and share what I want to share even better. Nice. And you know, you say it's like a slow evolution of a craft. And you know, that's what I was going to ask, because it, this may sound like a, like a heady question, but like, what is the art of a good tech review? Right. Uh, so I feel like my biggest challenge anyway mm-hmm. is information density mm, um, yes. I will always say like the a, a creative's best trick is making it look easy yes. you know ma- you know presenting as much information as possible as efficiently as possible structured in a way that's entertaining and fun that's the challenge of a good review mm-hmm. but I like to bring a little bit of the art of it where you may notice the cinematography is a little more in depth and I try to make it as realistic as possible and not everyone has to do that that's my own little touch my own little craft but uh, yeah, I think when it all comes together, it makes a hopefully effective breakdown of a product. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think some people still have this perception of all a YouTuber does is just turn on a camera and just you know just talk in front of it and that's it. But yep. there's <laughs> way more to that, especially especially the type of videos that you do because there is this production value to it. There is a cinematography to it. I mean, you shoot on a red, I believe, yeah. red camera. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, you care about the quality of your video. So. Like, what are some of those creative decisions you've developed in honing your format and your style of the of your videos? Right. Yeah. I mean, so it started with uh, it's it's so silly, but I started with screencasts. Yeah. Which is literally like a piece of software recording your screen. Mm-hmm. And even from those days, I was obsessed with getting the highest frame rate possible and like the most high quality looking, you know, the motion blur on the cursor on the screen, like those little things (laughs) I'd upload in 720p, big deal, big deal back at the time. (laughs) But I I always knew um, that I wanted the quality to be high so you could almost eliminate it as a distraction and just focus on what I'm Mm. actually trying to share with you. So I get into camera gear 
I'm starting to mess with different lenses and, and different lighting and all that sort of thing. And you can do different things like make it more moody mm-hmm. or, or tell more creative stories with it. But I just wanted to make it as realistic as possible. So the point of that was you feel like you already have handled a product after watching a video before you even hold one. Mm. And so, yeah, that's turned into a red camera and a studio and controlled lights and all these crazy things. I think at this point, there's so much other tech on YouTube that the last little special sauce that I have is trying to do crazy things that are difficult to replicate. Such a, that's so, what I was going to ask. So like, what is that? What yeah, is that? I mean, so we got a camera robot. And the the best way to describe this As one is does. yeah well it's it's not normal at all it's a crazy like you know you'd see like a, a factory with, that makes cars yeah. that you know those arms pulling mm-hmm. the pieces around yeah, yeah. it's one of those but that holds the camera and that you can keyframe with software okay. so it can move the camera in right. these crazy ways that your hands can't stuff like that that's like the cherry on top I love that yeah. And, you know, what thought have you given content as something functional like review versus content that's for entertainment purposes? Like, where's that line for you? How do you walk that line? Or is it a line that you walk? Yeah, I do try to combine it as best I can. The core to it has always been, like, I want to make videos I'd want to watch, which, you know, part of that is entertainment. But part of that is I'm into tech, so let's see some cool tech. And I think a big part of that is the companies that are making these tech products that's where the pressure is. Mm. They have a pressure to make an interesting, unique product that people will care about. Then it comes down to the end of the line where my job is to share it with you as best as it possibly can. And if I can be entertaining on the side too, that's cool. Um, but I feel like every video is driven by the product being entertaining and then me sharing it with you as best as I can. Right. You're almost like a, in my mind, like a perfect reviewer because you don't get in the way of what you're reviewing. Because I, I think a yeah. lot of people are so focused on becoming like, a character in themselves or, and you know to them to each is to each is her own like you know that's fine mm-hmm. but i feel like you because you are you do seem like this very laid-back kind of guy sure. <laughs> that, like it's it's just kind of like it kind of breaks down that wall and it's like oh i can trust him i know him like it's like almost like having a conversation with someone you know that yeah. i'm literally having a conversation across the table with. like yeah, exactly. it's like that but watching your videos it's very much like that right and i'm glad you brought up the companies and how the the onus is on them to be creative because You know, you've obviously been reviewing and studying tech so much, and I'm curious to know from you, like, what do you see as true innovation? Because that's something that obviously a lot of these companies throw around. It's just Mm. that word has kind of become just white noise at this point. So from your point of view, this, like, no BS kind of point of view, like, what do you see as true innovation? Okay, so here's a a perspective I see a lot, Mm -hmm. which is this new phone that came out this year, it's basically last year's phone with like a couple small things. Right. What do they do? One more camera on the iPhone this year? Like what could be so right. great about it? But the way I see it, and maybe it's just because I'm young or I haven't seen enough of it, but every year that I see a bunch of little improvements, mm-hmm. when you stack these things up over like six, seven, eight years, and you go back to the iPhone 3GS, mm-hmm. you notice that's a massively different product. Right. So while innovation in these mature markets like smartphones are often much more subtle and nuanced and difficult to appreciate in the, in the moment, I feel like when you stack them up over time, you really notice the big overall change. But also there's industries that aren't nearly as mature, like electric cars is another one that comes to mind where mm-hmm. people, every new car that comes out that's electric gets compared to the Tesla Model S, right. but they're all so different. So they all have different purposes and they appeal to different drivers and different types of car owners. So in other markets, it's a little easier to see the innovation right. where it's just right in front of your face. But I feel like in the the small like smartphone type of stuff, you have to look over time. Right. And so for you, I mean, how are you navigating that 
bleeding edge side of tech mm-hmm. versus like emerging markets. Because I think like our mature markets, because I think with so with smartphones, we have a sizable history to draw from, you know, to, to see that evolution, to know this is a good reference point. Like this is where we see it's going. We, we can it's easier to kind of map out trends to so to speak. Right. But when it comes to things that are really new on the market, how for you are you navigating that? I think it's fun because I get to separate it out. I I talk Mm -hmm. a lot about things that you might want to buy tomorrow, like a review or something like that. But I started the Dope Tech series Mm -hmm. specifically for things that are just bleeding edge, like crazy. Funny enough, the camera robot was one of those things. But (laughs) like the outlandish stuff that's on like the bleeding edge of tech that you might not ever want to buy, but you kind of just want to see what it's about. Right. That I just kind of treat like a showcase. Like if it's cool enough tech or if it maybe has a potential future application Mm -hmm. or if I just think it's worth sharing that's what I'm going to do. That's how I navigate it, if it's interesting to me. I love that. And, you know, I feel like we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I think that in the middle of this, you know, you have companies that are making these products, then you have on the other side the consumer, and you're kind of in the middle helping us make informed decisions on what we're going to buy. And, you know, as much as, as you have kind of built somewhat of a brand for yourself in some way, like whether it's intentional or not. Sure, yeah. And so... You know, when you you have like nearly 10 million subscribers on YouTube, I mean, that's not something you can ignore. So how are you cultivating this MPHB? Like how, how are you how are you cultivating your the brand? brand? Sure. Yeah. yeah I kind of just see it. So the tagline, I guess, has always been high quality tech videos. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty broad. Right. Um, but that's still the core of it, where my niche in the tech video space is over the top high quality. And I sort of uh, smear that into the rest of the production. So the production's high quality, but so is the information density is Mm -hmm. always very high quality. And so the consistency between videos, so you can sort of calibrate yourself to the way I review something, that should always be high quality. I think I've said it already, but it all comes down to like what I would want to watch. So if I'm attacking a new product that I'm you know, unfamiliar with, I try to bring it back to the same principles of like, well, if someone's going to buy this, what do they want to know? How can I show it in a high quality as possible? as realistic as possible so you feel like you already have have seen it and owned it before you do and then the rest is up to me to just execute that right and you've become such a trusted voice in this space that you've actually had the chance to sit down with tech leaders like Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Satya Nadella and so do you find from the time that you've spent with all of these people who are making these decisions and shaping tech which has become kind of inseparable from our world yeah what common thread have you found among these tech leaders if there Mm. is one yeah it's always interesting talking to them because they're always interesting people (laughs) but also they come at it from a a really different perspective which is uh they have much more to think about as far as steering the direction of almost this mothership of a company right so it's often just interesting hearing them talk about the way they think of the future of tech because mm. they have such a big impact on it. Whether you're right. the head of you know, Tesla or, or you're at Microsoft or, or wherever you're at, the way these people think about the future of tech and the way people will interact with tech, these are some of the few opinions that actually do impact the way we will interact with tech. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to hear them talk about that. And of course, they have you know, things like shareholders and the way the business grows and all sorts of other things to think about. Um, which may be less interesting to the consumer, but I, I always just find it fascinating the way they talk about the future and right. and the way they actually have a hand in shaping that. Right. So from your point of view, like what is that future relationship between consumer and tech? 
Yeah, it's it's scary. <laughs> it's potentially like super close because like yeah. right now the smartphone maybe is the most personal piece of tech you can have. Absolutely, right? you carry it everywhere. You wouldn't let anyone have it for a day. You kind of need it to operate at a certain level, and the relationship with tech that people have can only stand to get closer in a way that's like almost, you know, you, you start to think about like how healthy is it, like how Absolutely. dangerous is it. There are bigger questions that are asked about that, but. I think the way I see it is we're, we'll always sort of have a close relationship to tech as it makes us better, as it's convenient, as it's more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just sort of uh, watching it all unfold. <laughs> and that's what I find interesting because I feel like tech has become, if you kind of look at the history of it, I don't, you wouldn't necessarily see it becoming, having this, this stature and culture as a whole. And Apple obviously had a huge part of that in making tech feel like something that in marketing tech is something that is an extension of you it's an extension of you know you want this in your home like this is it became like a lifestyle almost and yeah. you, you so much is gleaned from what kind of phone do you have you know yeah. are you a samsung are you an iphone sure. so do you feel that that's a good place for tech to be on this sort of pedestal in our culture that we that we hold it in such high regard that we're having these events that get millions of people like these iphone mm. these apple events are like you know it's, it's it's appointment television like whenever apple drops a new product it's mm. like everyone in this office at least everyone just drops everything they're doing to cover yeah. it so do you think that it's the rightful place for tech to be in culture on this high pedestal of yeah admiration you know what my instinct says no it's unhealthy to put things like that on a pedestal but I'm going to take a a little different angle. Okay. I think it's a good thing that the companies who are making products that are this important to people and culture Mm -hmm. are scrutinized as heavily as they are. So with all that attention comes a lot of, why would they take away the headphone jack? Why would they make this choice? Why would they, they do this a different way? Why would they charge this much for battery replacements? Like All these questions, as scale increases, start to come up. Uh, more often and I think when you have that sort of that level of attention on your company and everything you do you're sort of forced to make better choices for the people that are going to be paying attention Um, so you know don't put it on a pedestal don't don't hold it like above like you know I have to have the iPhone or what am I as a person like it's not healthy (laughs) to be like that right Um, but I do think paying attention and I think a big part of our job as reviewers is uh, is to shine a spotlight on those things and hopefully make them better as a result. Right. And do you I know you, you've done a little bit of this in the past, I believe, and there's a few videos of you, you know, talking about um about Twitter as well, but would you do you ever see yourself veering more into reviewing or commenting on, you know, the state of Facebook, the state of YouTube, the state of all these things? Cuz you had a really good video about um about YouTube, YouTube rewind last year, I believe. Right. And so it's like you you obviously have amazing insight, but you deal mostly in, you know, consumer products like you just like tech products so do you see yourself ever veering into more into commenting on social platforms and whatnot because there's a lot when you say like holding these these owners feet to the fire in a way yeah there's a lot that can be said for for everything so how do you see that playing out in in what you do absolutely i think it's it's gotta happen more often Yeah. yeah so i i one of the biggest things that i've uh made a commitment to in the next couple of years is to just sort of broaden the horizon of coverage, if you mm-hmm. want to call it coverage, but to talk about and, and show and share more things. Right. Like if you look back at the last year of videos, I think more than half of that is smartphones. Like which smartphone is good? How good is it? Is it worth the money? That sort of thing. Right. And, and of course, smartphones are popular, but there's all these other worlds of different products and different companies and different behaviors and, and relationships between companies 
that are all worth exploring too. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's something I'm in general more committed to going forward is to dive into those things more, but without leaving smartphones behind. Of course, I mean, still yeah. pretty important. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's like your bed. That's kind of like your bread and butter. Exactly, and it is very important because, as you mentioned, it's something that is like it's so personal. Everybody has one in their pocket at all times. Yeah. So for you, I mean, I'm curious to know, like, what's your dream tech? Because you know, if you could develop a product or add on to an existing product. What would it be like? What problem would it solve that it's not solving already? And mm. what would it look like outside of Matt Black? Yeah, Matt Black, everything. <laughs> you're one step ahead of me. Yeah, man. Okay, so there are some markets that are super mature to the point where it's almost radical to think of them as changing. Mm. And then there are the ones that are like sort of brand new and and coming up. And I mentioned electric cars before. Yeah. I drive an electric car, right? And I love it. But there could be so many things about it that are dramatically more improved and that they're working on every day. So. Typically, when you think of an electric car, you think of range mm -hmm. and charging. Right. And I'll add a third thing in, which is just like overall vehicle dynamics. And without getting too nerdy, I wish the batteries lasted significantly longer. Like you could have a six, seven hundred mile range on a battery that mm -hmm. would dramatically reduce range anxiety. Right, right. And then, of course, when you do charge, you want it to be fast. And superchargers that Tesla has are already very fast, but they're working on faster ones. Mm -hmm. And that would also make it more convenient. And then battery tech in general throughout all of tech can use improvement, but especially in these cars where you want them to be lighter weight because electric cars weigh twice as much as gas cars. Right. That would all combine to make a way better electric car. So I think the future of electric cars is really exciting for all that stuff. Right. When's your Tesla truck coming in? Oh man, who knows? <laughs> I can never bet on them being on time, so. I mean, listen, he's like Elon's basically your best friend now, so it's like. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tap him. I mean, I'm excited about that Roadster for one, right, and they, they've slotted that on the calendar before the truck, right. allegedly, so hopefully that's coming soon, but uh, they're never really on time, so. <laughs> soon. I mean, just actually, just, just to kind of like back up a little bit, I mean, like where did this passion for tech come from for you? Because yeah. I think that, you know, what, like, how can you trace back to that initial spark, that initial interest of tech? Yeah, it's been, uh, for me, as long as I can remember, um, my you dad. Have a, you have other interests. Golf, right. Ultimate Golf, Frisbee. Ultimate, <laughs> absolutely true. And a lot of these things I can trace back to the first time I ever, like, did them. Right. Um, tech, I feel like, has just been around my life forever. I kind of have this, like, super old memory of, like, taking a camcorder out of a closet like mm -hmm. dusting it off and like walking around and pointing it at things in the house mm. and then playing it back on the screen and being amazed that I just made that <laughs> uh and like you know who knows I'm probably a single digit age at this point when I'm doing this but like as long as I can look back I've always had some sort of fascination with tech that works right and so yeah that's just carried through to like just the fascination with all of it today This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I didn't even mean for that to be a segue, but RetroTech, sure. <laughs> <There it laughs> which, <is. laughs> which is your series on YouTube. It's a fantastic series and in which you review and look at all these tech products of yesteryear. I mean, you have like the Sega Genesis and the Walkman and the Game Boy, all these things that, you know, I remember and I played with, but I yeah. feel like I'm kind of significantly older than you, but that's fine. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I feel like the premise is kind of a no-brainer. Have this highly tech-savvy young man review these products. 
And I think part of the interest is that by and large, you have no experience with these products at all. Exactly. I watched the the, the Sega Genesis episode, and I was like, "Scream!" I was like, "How could he not know what a Sega Genesis <laughs> is?" Like, I was getting because that was that was my that was right, my right, jam. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm curious to know. I mean, how did this how did this opportunity come about for you? Because you know, there's a lot of tech reviewers on YouTube. So, how did this come about? Like, how did this land in your lap? Yeah, yeah. So I we kind of started with the idea of of dope tech is already like this right. series that I do, which is this crazy bleeding edge tech. But something I started to notice is there's all these iconic pieces of tech that are sort of right before I had any access to them Mm -hmm. or was able to mess with them that were really important. And people would keep asking me, hey, you should go back and review this old thing. Or you should go back and take another look and like give a serious review on like the first iPhone. And the more I thought about it, the more I really liked that idea. And funny enough, the like behind the scenes original concept name we had for this was Dope Tech Rewind. Mm. So sort of rewinding the clock a little bit. But Basically, we landed on RetroTech as like really diving in, not just reviewing, but exploring like the impact that these right. iconic pieces of tech have had, where you can look at tech before the Walkman mm-hmm. and tech after the Walkman and see a huge difference. Or right. the first Polaroid, mm-hmm. being able to see your photo as soon as you take it, that type of thing is like immeasurable impact on society. So we, we went back and we picked six, and now we have six really good episodes, and right. I think we'll probably want to do more. Right. And so for you, I mean, in creating these shows, helping, you know, develop these ideas, what new perspective have you gained on mm. tech from diving into all this rich, all these products of yesteryear? Yeah, I think just an appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like you mentioned, you had the psychogenesis mm-hmm. and like that nostalgia is also pretty strong. Right. But I keep looking back at like so I we did one of the episodes was on the Motorola Dynatac, mm-hmm. which was the first mobile cell phone, right? Like the first, the brick. So we had <laughs> we had no one taking phone calls on the go, and then suddenly we had everyone taking right. phone calls on the go. And I don't know anyone who doesn't have a smartphone now. And just the appreciation for that impact, I got to talk to Marty Cooper, who invented the Dynatac, wow. and just this whole world that comes from somebody having a great idea and actually being able to execute on it and and watching that unfold, that's pretty special. And, you know, to kind of tie in for what you do in terms of reviewing, I would imagine working on a show like RetroTech has given you like a broader reference point for some of these things to really really dive in and understand, like the StarTech, you know, and now that we, now we're in the age of, you know, the iPhone and Motorola Razor coming back. So, (laughs) you know, which I really do want. How how has that taught, or like what has that taught you about your own process for going into analyzing these products? I mean, like how has it made you think or rethink how you talk about or think about these products that you're reviewing today? Mm. So I've always kind of known that every every product that comes out, the company who's coming out with it is trying something. Mm. uh, And a lot of times they're trying for a hit or they're trying, they're just trying to see what sticks and what catches traction. And I think when you look back at more of these major pieces of tech that really had traction unlike anything that came before it and had, you know, changed the history of that company forever and the history of the culture around that era. Now, when you look back at modern tech, you sort of see, oh, I see what they're trying to do, like, mm. even better. It's just sort of a, a clearer vision of, like, uh, trying to repeat. It's, it's the opposite of avoiding mistakes. They're trying to make mm. the same right choices that have been made in the past that see dramatic success. And why wouldn't you? If you're, you're running a company, you're trying to make right. the best product possible. But you also just want to make the right choices and, and make products that change history for the better. Right. And kind of parallel to that, I mean, how do you think creativity in tech has evolved 
Mm-hmm. Like when you think about think about you know just to go back to uh, like the Sega Genesis example for ex- like for example, it's I found it really interesting that it was framed rightly so, and this is something that I vaguely remember, but it was really pitched as this is the cooler edgier version like you 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 guys who love the snes like you guys are kind of nerds like this yeah. is the cool edgy <laughs> so we have mortal Kombat over here exactly so, you know i think that it's that and that kind of ties into it like how you market your products because you can have an amazing product but if it doesn't resonate in some way with your consumers then it's all for naught so yeah. in looking at retro tech how have you seen creativity in tech whether it is the product itself or just the marketing of it or just like the the thinking behind it. How have you seen that evolve? Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of this I, I sort of picked up in business school, but then when you see the history play out, like from a bird's eye view, you mm-hmm. notice it double, is every major piece of tech is trying to solve a problem. And then as soon as something catches, all the, not copycats, but all the similar versions that try to appeal to slightly different audiences to solve their own problems will all emerge from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that came from almost like the Sega Genesis was almost like taking the traction from previous game consoles and marketing towards a different group and solving a different problem. And now we're the cool ones and we got the, the blood on the screen mm-hmm. in Mortal Kombat and look how cool this is. You want this now right. instead of the other one. Uh, that same thing happened to like the Dynatac where like you went from car phones to this to now there's 30 mobile phones and all of them have a different form factor. Mm-hmm. That same thing happened to the Polaroid, where the Polaroid came out. Suddenly, oh, we can see the photos that we're taking right after that. Now we need a durable Polaroid for people who need to be in you know places that have high stress. And now we need a matte black Polaroid for right. people who know, <laughs> don't want reflections, like all these things. It's fun to see that play out. And now you see modern tech, the same thing happens. And there's more mature markets where it happens faster. There's you know younger markets where that's harder to spot. But right. I think that's the sort of bird's eye view you get from exploring the old stuff. Huh. And for you, I mean, I think retro tech, it's it's an amazing show, but you know, as as I watch it, I'm like, you could have done this on your own in a way. Cause I mean you have the resources, you have the name recognition to where right. you know, you kinda could have done this on your own. And so for you, in in thinking about what you do as a tech reviewer and like where you wanna see your brand go, do you see yourself going into maybe network, into cable, into something off off of YouTube. As great as YouTube has been, I imagine for you, and has, you know, opened up all these doors and all these possibilities, what thought have you given to extending your brand outside of it? I know you have a podcast now as well, yeah. but you know, in watching Retro Tech, I'm like, he's really good at this. Like he could do this elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well thank you. <laughs> um yeah, well so first I think the part of the challenge with retro tech is you know when you get a piece of tech that's like barely working but at least it's functional um having the archival team like go dig up like this crazy almost never before seen footage of like hillary clinton on air force one with a game boy like that (laughs) stuff is wild right so i much props to them for that but i also like like the idea of expanding out into i don't know you mentioned cable or whether Mm -hmm. it's like a more traditional medium i feel like i like still having the amount of creative control that I have. Mm. And so with RetroTech, it was a very back and forth process about making that sort of fit my vision for it. And that's not something I see as much in a lot of these other mediums. So when I think about other mediums, I'm usually thinking about how can I make it something I would want to consume. Right. Uh, and the less control it offers, the less appealing it is to me. Mm. So I really like YouTube because you literally can really do whatever you want and upload it and see how it does. Right. The podcast is another fun one for me because it's this sort of conversational like chat style where we can just talk about what we want to talk about. Yeah. And people who are interested can tune in. 
but yeah, that that's sort of my my philosophy on it. So I don't know if TV will ever really or cable will ever really appeal to me in its current you know setup, just because it's almost formulaic in a way, and I kind of just want to mess around. <laughs> right, fair enough. Yeah. And what's what's guiding? Because you you know, you've mentioned this a few times that you always like to make content that you would consume yourself. Yeah. But outside of that, I mean, how are you navigating those creative decisions? Like when you say that you want to retain your creative control. That's great, but also it's good to have outside voices in the room and to collaborate. So for you, I know you have a team behind you, yeah. but you know you kind of are—it's you, like you're yeah. kind of the face of it. So how are you navigating that that role as kind of being the leader of this brand that you've cultivated and knowing when to follow your gut, knowing when to listen to other people? Like how how has that been for you? Yeah, I think it's about trying to stay, you know, somewhat calibrated. You know, there's a lot of previous work to base things off of Mm -hmm. Uh, and you never really want to get too comfortable with just like sort of repeating the same things over and over Mm -hmm. but if you look at things from the same perspective over and over you'll eventually get really really fine-tuned to what you like to see what's a good choice what you don't like to see what's a bad choice Mm -hmm. and so that's I guess the the basic version of that and there's always just going to be like wild wrenches thrown in here and there that sort of make you reconsider the whole thing, which right. is always fun too. Phones fold in half now. I know. Like what? <laughs> like when that stuff comes along, you sort of have to rethink about like what is a smartphone really? Right. Uh, and that's always fun when that happens too. Nice. And so when you look back at you know this career that you've built, what would you say has been one of your most substantial creative challenges? Creative challenges. Um, Honestly, for me, in the short term, this might sound dumb, but like it's really just color correction. <laughs> I'm really not like I'm not an expert at almost any of the things I do. Like right. I, I went to business school, of course, and I've always been sort of making videos, right. but I didn't take any video editing classes. Mm. I don't have any right. formal instruction in color correction or capture. Right. All of it is from learned experience. And I feel like every single video, without question, there's a couple shots in there where I'm like, I can't get this, man. The grays don't look gray. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like this, uh, this very granular, probably over perfectionist type of you know editing that I try to do. I think that's my biggest challenge right now. Um, but in that, I will also say remembering to step back yeah. and like really take a look at the bigger picture because I could just sit down and do 30 more smartphone reviews and I'd wake up and it would be 2022 and what am I even doing right. <laughs> so I do try to step back and look at the greater landscape and 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 like I said earlier broaden horizons and look at other stuff that I'm interested in Brilliant. well yeah. this has been wonderful I really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me not. thanks for listening to creative conversation Be sure to subscribe to Creative Conversation wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, don't forget to rate and review. We always love hearing your feedback. I'm your host, Casey Finey.